Welcome to Grace Point. If uh, you're with us, joining us today, maybe for the first time, uh, we are in a series of messages where we're talking about pursuing a life that gives life. Uh, I would hope that I would outlive my life. I want you to think about that. How do you outlive your life? And I think it's whenever we learn that our life is actually meant to give life to others. But before we go there, I want us to answer this question. Who, who do you look like? Who do you reflect? Okay. In your life, uh, when you're, you're, you're born to a mama and daddy somewhere in this world, and maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Maybe you grew up in a, uh, in a home where you didn't know your dad, didn't know your mom or something like that, and that may be a different story, different conversation to have. But if you know, and you've got some of your baby photos, and you've got some of your parents' photos or grandparents' photos or something like that, and you can trace back how you look, who do you look more like? Think about that for a moment. And again, different phases of stages in our kids' lives. We see different uh, ideations, if you will, or different uh, renditions of them uh, as, as they grew up and as they expressed themselves and learned that. I asked our pastoral team if they were willing to submit some photos of some side-by-sides of their baby photos, and some of them were willing, and uh, I couldn't get them all on the screen, but I did want to put a few up that I think kind of capture some of the personalities and some of the people of our church, you know? our staff. So uh, you've got Lori, my wife, and Jordan, and they are spitting image of one another. In my opinion, same age, same time there. If her photo wasn't yellowed out, then uh, you wouldn't, uh, then you wouldn't maybe even know the, the difference in the two. And I mistakenly said in the first service that there's no doubt that that is Lori's child. And then I thought that sounds wrong. That, she's my child too. I promise you that. And so uh, that didn't come out right. But uh, anyway, you look at her and there's no doubt, okay? Uh, you look at, not only sometimes you get the physical, sometimes you get the personalities as well. And when you look at Leadra and you look at uh, Cooper, you see personality coming out there, okay? And that's why Leadra's our children's pastor and because she fits right into that mold. Now, the next three photos are three generations, Okay. And uh, this is Caleb and his dad and his uh, son, Titus, youngest son, Titus. Now, I want you to look up there and see if you can figure out who is who. I can't. In fact, when Caleb sent me the photo, I didn't know which one was Titus and which one was him. And they all looked. His genes run strong. He's got some Italian genes in there in that Gabrelli family. That It's a pretty strong uh, gene line, pool line there, uh, whatever you say about that. But... Those are reflections. Now, it's fun to watch our kids again grow up and look at ourselves and see ourselves in them as, 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 they, as they grow up. These are those birthmarks, if you will, those, those reflections. And I want to talk about reflections today. Who are we, who do we look like? Who do we most look like? Or how do we look like? And again, I'm not just talking about mom and dad. I'm talking about God. Do we look like God? Now, and there's some truth to this because the scripture says that we're born of God. If you're a child of God, if you receive Christ, if you've walked with Christ, then you're born of God. And I know that it's a spiritual uh, framework, but it's also, I think there's some real deep down transformation that happens inside of us. Whenever you look at the scriptures in John chapter one, verse 12, it says this, yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So we become children of God as we receive him. Okay. 
Now, I know this is an adoption, and that's the metaphor he uses, but go on with me here. There's also this spiritual, mystical rebirth that happens. Children born not of the natural descent, nor of human decision or of husband's will, but born of God. Now, I just want you to let that rest a little bit on you for a little bit. What does that mean to be born of God? Now, again, if you spend any time in this series, we talk about being born again in John chapter 3 and Nicodemus and that whole encounter. But what does it mean to be born of God? Now, Paul, I mean, John only uses this phrase one time in the gospel. He uses it in John chapter 1. He uses born again phrase in John chapter 3, and then you don't see it anywhere else in the gospel of John. But when you go to the letter of 1 John, you find this born of, God, born of God phrase used five times in five chapters. What we're going to do is we're going to be wrapping up in the next week or so, actually after next week, we're going to be wrapping up this series in, in Gospel John, but we're going to skip over the rest of the New Testament. And we're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament, back in the New Testament, way, way, way back to the, the book of 1 John. And we're going to continue to read from John. Okay, we're going to read his letter in 1 John, and the title of the series is going to be Love is Greater Than Hate. Now, you've seen us wear these t-shirts around. What does this mean? How does this fit into? Uh, That's what I'm saying. Being born of God gives us an ability to love the unlovable at times. But it also, there are times that we're called to hate. And what is the right thing to hate? So we're going to try to balance that out, and but, but five chapters. There's only five chapters in the first John letter of First John, and all five. Excuse me, five times in the in the book of First John is the phrase "born of God." So what we're going to see is a continuation of thought from the Gospel of John being born of God, and then what does it mean to be born of God in the book of First John? So we'll be going there. But what does it mean to be born of God? What are the the reflections of God that we should have in our life. I want to talk about a few of them because they're, they're throughout the New Testament. Paul talks about them. John talks about them. Peter talks about them. They're all out there. One of those is our behavior qualities. There ought to be a behavioral change. I only have this verse put in, in, in paper or put on, on the screen, but in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how we're a new creature. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, it talks about how we have fruit in our life. There's things that come out of our life because we're children of God, because the Spirit of God is in us. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's patience, there's kindness, there's gentleness, there's faithfulness. These are all the fruits of the Spirit. We're going to spend a time in the later spring of 2019, starting in uh, just after Easter, we're going to deal with the, looking at what it means to be filled with the Spirit have the fruits of the Spirit coming out of our life. And so that's ahead. That's way, way down the road. But I want us to understand that these are qualities that we don't go out and try to, hey, I need to be more patient, so I'm going to put on more patience. No, you can't do that. I mean, I wish I could. But what happens is whenever the Spirit is in me and the Spirit's manifesting Himself in me, then I will be more patient. All of us want more patience, but we don't want to have to go through the process of having patience, right? Well, we're going to talk about what it means for those qualities to be coming out of our life. Also, another thing is our thinking, the way we thinking, or the way we think. If we got stinking thinking, we're going to have a stinking life, all right? And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, it's not only there, it's other places where he talks about us having the mind of Christ. 
where literally we have the mind to think like Christ. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you can put that beside that, where he talks about the renewing of our mind. So there's this transformation, this sanctification process that God takes us through. We get new qualities of life. We get new thinking in life, but we also get a new character. These are qualities that we carry on through life. In 1 Peter, he talks about how that we are holy, We should be holy, be holy because why? Jesus or God is holy. So we're supposed to have the same character that our Father has. All right, just let that continue to marinate with you. What are those reflective points of your life that look like your Father in heaven? What? How do you look like your Father in heaven? Another, and I want to camp on this one, is our purpose in life. We don't live for our purpose. We live for his purpose. We have our plans, but he has his purpose. And we need to make sure they align. If we're ever off center from that, then we're going to be constantly butting our heads against the will, perfect will of God, perfect design of God for our lives. And we're going to constantly be challenged in our own life. But when we align with his purpose and we live out wherever it is that we're called to live, we live out his purpose for our life. Now, what is his purpose? Well, we've been talking about this for the past several weeks. In John chapter 20, uh, it talks about how we, uh, how Jesus said that as the father has sent me, I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That's really the purpose in which he lived is the purpose in which we live. We take on his purpose. We take on his life. This is the life that we have in Christ. Now, what is his purpose? Why did he live? Again, quick review here. Luke 19, 10. This goes back to week one in this series. That Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why he came. That's why he existed. That's why he walked on this earth. And if that's why he existed, guess what? That's why we exist. And anything short of that is not living out the purpose of God, which is a part of the way that we reflect God. Now, whenever we come to the Gospel of John, which is where we've really been zeroing in and focusing our attention, the Gospel of John. When you come to the Gospel of John, you find again and again and again a common word, a common theme. You find in, in John chapter 4, verse 34, God living out his purpose whenever he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We read that last week or two weeks ago. How it was the very, the, Jesus gave up food. He gave up privacy. He gave up sleep at times because it was more important for him to fulfill the purpose of God than anything else in his life. And in that passage, he says, it's my food to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. But then he goes on in John chapter 17, which we'll be looking at that next week. John 17, when he says, and you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. He's literally praying for his disciples. God, would you send them just like you sent me? What a beautiful prayer. John chapter 20 is whenever he actually fulfills that. He lives out. His prayers are answered, and he sends us out into the world. Now, what I want you to see up there is a common word, sent, 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 sending. 26 times in the gospel of John alone is God sending, doing the action of sending, Sending us out, sending him out, sending us out again, sending him out two by two, sending, sending, sending. He's constantly sending. He's praying that we would be sent. He's praying that as we go, we would go uh, sent. Here's the, here's, the, here's the reality. 
Nowhere in the Gospels, nowhere in the New Testament does the word missions ever appear. But what does appear 26 times in the Gospel of John is the word sent. That's what it means to live on mission, is that we are sent. So whenever we say, when we say up here on Sunday morning, week after week after week after week after week, we say, hey, go live sent. We're just saying, hey, go live like Jesus. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Go live like Jesus, live sent in this world where you live, work, learn, and play. It's what he was called to do. In fact, if you want to do a Bible study this week, I want you to study all 26 references to the times in the Gospel of John. Take a picture of it, whatever, uh, and, and study for yourself all the times that God said, send, sent, sent him sends us into this world. It is a common theme that we can't get away. If you don't read the Gospel of John and you don't see that theme, then you need to go reread the Gospel of John. Now, here's what I want you to land on with this. Is if God is a sending God, and God sent Jesus, and Jesus prayed that he would send us, and then he turns around in John 20 and sends us, then we need to understand something about the purpose of God. It is to live sent. It is to live as if we are living the life of Jesus. And the nature of Jesus is reflected in the people of Jesus. If I don't carry his nature, if I don't carry his identity, if I don't carry his purpose, then there's something wrong. There's a disconnect. There's some things that are misfiring. That if he was sent and I'm a child of his, then I equally am sent just like him. Now, how am I living out my sentness? Hang on to that thought, and I want you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Now, this is a statement that you'll not find the word sent in this verse. I've quoted a lot of sent verses here. But I want us to look at John chapter 8, verse 12. And as you look at John chapter 8, you're going to find one of the seven I am statements of Jesus. Because if we were to continue to go on in in our study of the gospel of John, we would start turning into a focus on all the I am statements of Jesus. He makes seven I am statements. Many of them are in the gospel of John. And as he makes this statement, One of these statements he makes, he makes it not once, not twice, but three times in the Gospel of John alone when he says that I am the light of the world. Now, again, if we carry the nature of Jesus, what does that mean? That means we should reflect the nature of Jesus. So who is Jesus? He said, read it with me. Read it out loud with me. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, So there you have it, right there. He said, listen, I'm the light of the world, and if you follow me, guess what? You're going to carry my nature. You're going to reflect who I am, and you are going to go out into this world, and you are going to carry the light of life. So again, I come back to what I said. The nature of Jesus is reflected in the people of Jesus. Do you carry the nature? Are you a reflection of Jesus? When you go on and you read in the Gospels of John, you'll find that Jesus was very emphatic about who he was. It wasn't something that he stumbled across. It wasn't a a, a quick momentary thought and that he never said it again. But in John chapter 9, verse 12, also in John chapter 12, verse 35, but in John chapter 9, verse 12, he says this, as long as I am in the world, say it with me, I am the light of the world. 
I, as, long, as, as long as I'm breathing, Jesus is saying, as long as I'm walking, as long as I'm eating, as long as I'm sleeping, as long as I'm taking air from this world, I am the light of the world. Now, that kind of leaves us with a question. Whenever he's not here, who's the light of the world? Who's the light? Who's the hope? Because think about it for a moment. What if this world were without light? Think about it like this. What if this room was without light? Now, there's some ambient light around. But as they slowly bring up the lights, I want us to imagine, uh, slowly or fastly, (laughs) that's like Jesus appears on the scene. Not me. I'm a reflection of him. Um, I stutter, I I mess myself up sometimes. Um, I really mess myself up. Um, I wasn't going to do that until I just decided to do that. Um, the, um, the fact that we carry, oh, this is what I'm saying. Jesus is the light of the world as long as he is here, but when he is gone, there's no longer light. Who's the light? We are the light because we are the reflection of him. Now, where do I get that, Mike? Where do you, you go off and you say you're the light of the world? That's right. Cause you go to Matthew chapter five. Now we were in Matthew chapter, we we're in John chapter nine. Now we go to Matthew chapter 5. Now this is a time in Jesus' ministry whenever he is kicking it off and he is with his disciples and he climbs up the side of the hill. And I love it in the message. It says that his mountain climbing disciples went with him. So if you ever thought about climbing mountains, Jesus is a mountain climber. And uh, it says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, he climbs up the side of the hill with his mountain and his disciples climb with him. And he sits down and he begins to teach them. And when he teaches them, we get the only message that Jesus ever preached in the, in, in the New Testament. We find it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And you come to chapter 5 and right in the middle, and Jesus makes this statement. You are the light of the world. Let that sink in. You are the light of the world. And then he goes on and gives some kind of picture to it. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. When you're lit, you're lit. No, I don't mean that in a bad way, all right? Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand or on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So if you're outside and the city's lit up, everyone around's going to see that city. If you're in the house and there's light in that house, everyone's going to benefit from the light in that house. There's going to be a, there's going to be an ambient light. There's going to be a continuous light that's going to affect everyone. And then he goes on and he gives us the challenge in verse 16. In the same way, let your light, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, William Barclay, one of the greatest New Testament uh, theologians uh, that has written many times on the New Testament, he said this. He said, this is the greatest compliment ever given to Christians, ever given to followers of Christ, that Jesus would call us light. Let's own it. He calls us light. He says, you're the light of the world. You're reflecting the light that, it, that I've given you? Yes. And so I want us to talk about these reflections, okay? If Jesus is the light and we are called the light, that must mean we're a reflection of him. So let's talk about the reflections of it. Number one, let's talk about the depth of light, okay? The depth of light. Light, when it comes on, it fills every nook and every crevice. 
unless we close it out. Unless we close it out. But the, the, the depth of Jesus needs to be all down deep inside. Let your light shine, it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. But let me make this abundantly clear. Let your light shine doesn't say you are light. You have light. You're a reflection of the light. But it's not you being the light. There's a secular humanistic philosophy out there today that says that you are the light, that you carry the light, that you're, you're, you're the, you need to bring light into this world. Listen, we have light only at the depth in which God gives us light. In John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, the true light. There's not, a, there's not many lights out there. There is one true light that gives light to everyone. Has come, it was coming into the world. We need to understand that Jesus is the one who gives light. He's the one who gives life. And again, light is the one that keeps us from bumping and hurting ourselves in the night. You know what your toes are for to help you find furniture in the night. Whoever follows me, it says in John chapter 8, verse 12, we just read it. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Lori and I were in a local community, uh, in a business here recently, and we saw somebody wearing a t-shirt. It was nothing more than a Zen Buddhist t-shirt. And when I say it, it's going to sound real positive and vibey if you will. But it's really just humanism. It's really just Zen Buddhism of our day. The shirt said something like this. It said, if you can't find the light, be the light. Well, that sounds real sweet, doesn't it? That sounds real positive vibe, doesn't it? If you can't find the light, then you need to be the light. Well, that just, that says that light originates in you. What we need to find is we need to find light. Because I know this about Mike McDaniel. And on my best day, I'm dark in crevices and corners of my life. On my best behavior, I still am wrestling with sin and deception and darkness in my own soul. It was Jeremiah who said, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? No man can know our own heart. Darkness, delusion, and deception mark us. We just got to embrace that. And we got to understand, I've got to have a real source of light. The nature of Jesus is reflected in the people of Jesus. When we have his light, we have light to give others. We have light to shine out into this world. We have a light to make a difference in this world. It's not something that originates in me. So the depth of my light goes deeper than Mike McDaniel. It goes to the depths of Jesus Christ. And it exposes all the darkness of my life so that it can be made right, so that there can be life given. Let me illustrate it like this. So I went to get a physical recently. Turned 50 this summer, and I felt like I probably needed to check my health out. Um, Don't have any reason why to think that I would be unhealthy, but I thought I'd check it out. Went and did blood work, did everything that I needed to do that the doctor said. And they came back and they said, Mike, you are incredibly healthy. Said all these indicators, your cholesterol, your your weight, just on and on and on. Everything is really, really off the chart for for, uh, as old as you are. (laughs) And they said, there is one thing though that's not quite right. 
It says your vitamin D. Your vitamin D. I'm thinking, what's a big deal about vitamin D? So the doctor began to break it down for me. And so he literally broke it down so well, I said, you're going to have to give that to me. So he gave it all to me. And here, I want to read to you what it said. Vitamin D is a steroid hormone of your body. It affects over a thousand different genes in your body. Genes keep you alive. It affects a thousand different parts of your body's functioning. It literally goes on to, the doctor went on to explain that the vitamin D actually helps regulate the aging process. Now he has my attention. (laughs) He began to talk about the fraying of the nerve, uh, of the little ends of things in my body. I don't even know what they are. But he said, eventually the the fraying means that they they don't connect as well. It means your skin will start sagging and your life will, your, your, your body will start looking older. And I'm like, oh, I'm listening now. Where do I get this vitamin D? He said, the best way to get vitamin D is in the sun. I said, are you writing me a prescription to go to the beach? And I said, because I am in. Uh, He said, you can go to the beach. That's one of the ways. Or you can take some vitamins. And um, so I've started taking vitamins because I can't figure out how to get to the beach. But the point being is this, is that I can have everything else in my life looking good. But if I don't have enough vitamin D, I'm dying. I'm dying anyway. I know that. But I'm dying faster. I don't have the life that I want, the life that I need, the life that I could have. Without the sun, not S-U-N, S-O-N, without Jesus, I don't have light. And I can have everything else okay. But if I don't have Jesus, I'm dying. The depth of light starts with me. See, I can't give light away if I don't have light in my own soul. I can't give light away if I don't have light in my own soul. So what's the depth of the light inside of you? Let your light. Your light comes from Jesus. But he also gives us the breath of light, the breath, the width. It's horizontal. It extends out. It goes beyond us. Its light is not just self-serving. And this is going to make me live longer, live better. Light actually is more than self-advancing light. It's a light that goes out to others. It reaches beyond me. Notice what he said in Matthew 5, 16. He says, let your light so shine before men, before others, before women, before children, before the people you live, work, learn, and play with. That's who our life. Let's read, let's read all of this again. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. That's not light to yourself. A city that's on a hillside cannot be hidden. That means basically you're not going to be able to hide from anybody. People are going to be able to see you. Others are going to experience your light. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. It's not just for your own self reading light or anything like that. It's for others but they put it on a, slant, a stand that gives light to all who are in the house. So I want to ask you, how do the people around you experience the light that is in you? First, you've got to ask the question, do I have the light of Jesus in me? Because if I don't, I don't have light. I have some manufactured something else. Fluorescents do not give you vitamin D like the sun does. Fake manufactured light in this world will not give you the light that Jesus will give you. That is the depth of light. 
but then there becomes the breath of light where our light now starts impacting other people around us. Now, notice this. Notice the scope of how far our light should penetrate out. Let your light shine before others, but right before that, you're the light of the world. Now, we already understood that, that in John's gospel, 26 different times he mentions gospel. He mentions being sent by God or God doing the sending act. 109 times in 81 verses does the, world, does the word world come up. The gospel of John is constantly pointing to the nations, constantly pointing to the ends of the earth, constantly going out there. And the nature of Jesus is reflected in the people of Jesus. Where? To the world. When John chapter 3, verse 16, a song we just sang about a few moments ago, what did it say? For God so loved the world. John three fourteen. Or 317, excuse me. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 633, the bread of God is who comes down from out of heaven, gives life to the world. So basically what we've got to understand is we are light because of Jesus, and because Jesus is our light, we are a light to others. How far are we to be to others? To the world. See, this whole conversation around Grace Point about the nations is not just a Grace Point thing. It's a Jesus thing. It's a Gospel of John thing. where We are called to go to the world. C.T. Studd, anybody named Studd, you got you to admire that guy said this, the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. You've heard me say that, but it was a missionary by the name of C.T. Studd who coined that. The light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. So we've, we're a bright light here, but we've got to be a bright light there as well. And if we don't get this down, we're missing it. We have a little mantra around here. Where we just ask you to keep your passport current. Keep it up to date. Because you never know when God might call you. I don't have a passport. Well, I need to get one. I ask, how do you believe in the Great Commission if you don't have a Great Commission passport? It's a part of it. I got to be willing to go to the world because that's where God loved the world and he, he, he died for the world. Isaiah, 400 years before Jesus ever gave the Great Commission to go to the world and to make disciples of the world, 400 years he told Isaiah that he would be a light for the Gentiles. And my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. God's been about the earth. He's been about the world. He's been about the nations since the beginning of time. And the 230 million represented people out there that clustered up into 3,172 people groups that don't have a gospel witness, we need to be concerned about. It needs to bother us. Caleb and Amanda and I were able to spend time with 150 of our missionaries that we support, that you support through your giving on a consistent basis. We were able, I was able to, I was literally standing in this exhibit hall and talking to different people. And right next to me, I overheard this conversation of these two missionaries talking. And he's from Mosul, Mosul, Iraq. And I'm thinking, that's where the military goes to fight wars. And he lives just north of Mosul. And he was, so I turned and started talking to the guy. And he lives there with his family. 
He doesn't hide behind a big wall and have AK-47s and big guns shooting at people. He's there to live among the people and to be light among a people who's been living in darkness. He said, have you been living there the whole time? He says, except when ISIS occupied the city, they've been there. And they're missionaries that we believe in and we support. And they're on the front lines and you'll not know their names and you'll not see their faces and we're not going to put them up there because it would be a danger and security risk for them. But it's like, I'm sitting here standing next to what I would consider a giant, somebody who will do something that, be frankly, I'm kind of scared to do. We had a team a, a couple of years ago that went to uh, France, okay? Now, France, first world. Who wouldn't want to go to France for a mission trip? It's kind of like beach ministries. Uh, eat baguettes and eat, drink uh, cappuccinos, right? No, well, so what they did is they went down to the, the, the coast of Marseille, France. And the team was there, and they distributed 1,825 Bibles in Christian literature. Say, oh, that sounds like what they do on the streets in, in, in northwest Arkansas. We could have done that here. Yeah, you could do that here. For some reason, though, I don't know why they do that because I, somebody gives me that, uh, gives me material. I don't even look at it. I just throw it away. So, but in Marseille, they take it. And what the deal is, is there's something unique about the coastal city of Marseille is because that's the port that all of those people who live in North Africa that live in Europe go through on their way to go back home. They'll take a vacation and they'll go home. They'll go on a holiday and they'll go home. And the missionaries, our, our team was there at the, at the port and they were just simply passing out material. And they, okay, I would throw it away and go on. And I'm sure some got thrown away. But some made it on into the country. Some made it on into back home, into northern Tunisia and in, in, in Libya and in uh, Morocco. In fact, when I was this past week at... Um, at this meeting in Atlanta with these missionaries, one of the missionaries stood up and said, let me tell you about some literature that was handed out in Marseille, France. My ears are perked up. And we had a missionary who lived 1,400 miles away from Marseille in the country of Morocco, worked among the Berber people, Okay, the Berber people have been around since the barbarians. In fact, they are the original barbarians. Their names got shortened to the Berber people. There are nomadic people that literally travel from West Africa, from Morocco, all the way to the Nile in Egypt. So they cover the entire length of, uh, of North Africa. And there was a missionary and he was in his truck and he needed a haircut and he found a barber who was a Berber. And he went to the barber who was a Berber. I have to keep saying that because I love it. And, uh, and he got his hair cut. And when he was in there, he sat down in the chair and he looked up and he saw a picture of Jesus, a painting of Jesus. And he said, now this, this is a completely Muslim culture in a completely Muslim people group. And he saw a picture of Jesus. And the guy said, where did you get that? Why do you have a picture of Jesus hanging up there? He said, because there was some people that were in Marseille that were giving out literature. My family came home and they stayed with us and they left the literature. They went back to France. I picked up the literature. I read it. I learned about Jesus for the first time. I became a follower of Jesus. And now anybody who sits in my barber chair as a Berber 
I point them to Jesus. Can you imagine? Is that not ever awesome? What God does, whenever we start shining light into the dark places of this world, he starts drawing people to himself. How far is your light shining? How deep does your light go? What is the height of your light? So there is not only a light that shines far into this nation's, into the world's, but it shines as high as the heavens. See, we don't do missions because missions is what we're supposed to do, is because we're trying to count heads and, and people and trying to proselytize. We do missions because God wants worshipers. We, we, we shine light because God wants people praising him and because he's worthy of our praise. Because he tells us in, the, in Romans chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before men that others will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, what happens when we take on the ministry of, uh, 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 of shining light, people will become worshipers of Jesus Christ. We become living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God in Romans 12. One says, this is true, proper, and proper worship. This is what we're to do. Now, I want you to go back and I want us to read verse 16 together. I want you to read it out loud with me. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Good works. There are two Greek words for good. There's the Greek word agathos. That just means good quality. Then there's the Greek word kalos, which means good quality but also captivating, beautiful, attractive. The word that he uses here is kalos. See, when we shine the light of Jesus into the darkness of this world, it will be attractive. It will be captivating. People will be drawn to the light, not repelled by the light. They will be drawn to Jesus, not turn away from Jesus. And they will glorify their Father just as we glorify Him. See, when we talk about living sin, showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people, showing is showing the light of Christ that is in us, showing it to our friends. When we did Hope in WA, that was a one-day event of one happens one day a year, and man, it's big, and it's a big splash, and it happens big, and it affects a lot of people, and we impact a lot of people, and man, it is incredible and beautiful, and we're still seeing and hearing the results of that. But then there's every day. What about the 365 days? 364 days that are remaining. The foster families who open up, their, open up their homes and show children real, unconditional love. They've never experienced it before in their life. Guess what? They're showing the good works. What it means to share the light of Christ. When a communitas group really lives out what it means to be a communitas group, which by the way, why do we call it communitas groups? Wouldn't it be easy just to call it community groups? I mean, communitas, what in the world is that? That's a Latin word. And it means a community on mission. 
community on mission. Let me tell you about Lori and Abe Bedeen. Their group seven years ago took on a mission, took on a, their community took on a mission. Seven, I want to emphasize seven years ago multiple times because what it is a reflection of is a long walk of obedience in the same direction. A long walk of obedience in the same direction. See, it's one thing to do one-off days with God, but what about long walks of obedience in the same direction? So Lori and Abe, and along with Marcia and Bill Beck and others, their group continue, they, 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 they've got a part of a ministry called Laundry Love. Basically what they do is on the first Friday of every month, when we're all celebrating down the square and having a good time on Friday night football with our family and friends, they're serving at a laundromat in Rogers to under-resourced families. And they're just loving on them. They're giving quarters so that they can do their laundry and they're giving soaps so they can wash their laundry to families that are really under-resourced. One family that she described came in there this past Friday night were so under-resourced that they had one diaper and the diaper was on the child and they didn't have any other diapers to put on the child and they needed to change the diaper. That's how bad it was. They were dropped off because they heard that there was food there. Because what Lori does, and Abe, they work all day just like you. She's a teacher. He works at Walmart. And when they can't do it, Bill and Marcia are there stepping up, holding it down. Even though their group has dissolved and gone different directions, they have continued that long walk of obedience in the same direction. And they continue to serve these families. They prepare food for them. For however many will be there, and they serve them. And by the way, as you give... Your giving helps to provide the quarters and the soap and the laundry, the softener and whatever else that comes along in the way that we help out with in that ministry. But it takes a Lori and an Abe Bedeen and a Bill and Marcia Beck to be able to build the relationships, to shine the light so that what happened this past week when a little seven-year-old girl and a little nine-year-old girl come running up to Lori ready to read her a book not her to read them a book because they're so excited about how they can read and they're going to share it with her. Now I want you to realize that seven years they've been doing this and seven years, uh, oh, uh, seven years old is this little girl. That's talking about ever since she has been alive, all she has been aware of, if she's been a part of that for the full seven years, is on the first Friday of every month that they go to the laundromat and Lori and Abe will be there. Their mother has been deported because she's illegal. And the children have been left with dad. Now, you can get into the debate on legal immigrants and illegal immigrants, but I can tell you this, that to Lori and Abe, they're people, period. They're going to let the police take care of what's illegal and legal. They're just going to love on people. They're just going to shine the light. And I can't go into all of it. There was so much that happened this past Friday night that what ended up happening is it ended up turning into a worship service at the laundromat. Reading a book, singing a song about, oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. And Lori just talks about holding this lady who'd never been there before and just loving on her and singing to her and sharing the gospel with her. I say all that because there's so much more to say to that, but what I want you to hear is that we got to shine our light 
not our light, the light of Jesus that is in us to the people that are around us and to the world. Would you be a part of that? Would you join in that mission? And maybe today it's you thinking of that one person that is living in a dark spot of their life and they need light, they need hope, they need clarity, they need direction, and you have the light of Christ and you could share that with them. Would you pray for them in this next few moments? Or maybe you're here today and you go, I need that light. I don't have light. I need the light of Christ in my life. There's going to be around the room some prayer partners that you can go to and just tell them, I need the light of Christ. And they'll pray with you. This is your time. Father God, in these moments, shine your light in us that we can go out and shine your light into others. That we can do the good work, that captivating, attractive, compelling work of what it means to, to, to shine our light and to let our lights shine and, and to raise up worshipers so that others will come to know you, Lord, like we know you. Lord, we want to carry your nature. We want to reflect your light. We want to be light in this world.